Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Three things this morning, right? We're going to walk through this. And uh, last week I got a bunch of questions and I thought, okay, let's take a pause. Let's take a pause. And uh, we talked about the dead in Christ rising first out of Thessalonians. We're going to look at that. But there's so much in this. You know, when we start asking questions about those who have already gone on to be with the Lord, those who are the dead in Christ, those believers who, as the Bible would put it, are asleep, what do we mean by that? And I'm going to give you three things, and then we're going to start out with a very long introduction, okay? So don't get caught off guard. I'm going to give you the three things, and that'll be kind of towards the end. But we're going to look at, first of all, our future hope, our future hope. And you know what I love about biblical hope is that it's not a wish. It's a certainty. It's a future fact. We can count on it. We can bank on it. Why? Because God has said it. And so praise God for that truth. It ought to change the way that we live today. So our present comfort comes into this. If we understand what it is that God has promised us and we know where we're headed, we know what we're going into, we know what uh, we're going to have and enjoy forever and ever and ever because of the shed blood of Christ at the cross and believing in him, then it ought to change the way we live today. It ought to comfort us. It ought to comfort us. But secondly, or in this sense, third point, it ought to cause us to serve abundantly. Fear is one of the greatest distractions that we face. Fear of all kinds of stuff. We fear death. We fear what people think. We fear, you can fill in the blank. And the truth of the matter is, is when we know where we're headed because God said it, and we are comforted in the midst of our season and our time and in our lives, it ought to change our outlook. It ought to change the way that we're willing to serve. It ought to change what we're actually doing. And I think that's important to review. But to get there, to get there, let's look at a few things. Because I think when we talk about dying in Christ... (laughs) There's a whole lot of information on this, and um, maybe this will bless you this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, we looked at it because last week we were looking at the rapture of the church. The rapture means the snatching up of the church. I believe that takes place before the tribulation at some point, and we looked through some reasons for that. In verse 13 of First Thessalonians 4, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And then he says in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And what he's telling the Thessalonian believers is you're not going through the tribulation. The dead in Christ have to rise first. And then we who remain at that point and are alive who have not experienced death will be caught up together with the Lord and with all of those who have preceded us. And we will be together with the Lord forever. Comfort one another with these words. What a beautiful truth this is. And the question becomes, well, who are the dead in Christ? What are they going through right now? What are they waiting for? What do you mean their bodies are going to be resurrected? How is that going to take place? There's all kinds of questions in this. And I've boiled it down into three main 
questions that I believe every believer ought to understand or certainly be able to express and be comforted by in terms of what the Word of God actually teaches. We're not talking about my opinion. We're not talking about uh, any other person or any other denomination's opinion. We're talking about what does the Word of God have to say about this. And it's an important issue. How many have suffered, in this sense, the death of a loved one? How many have wondered, what are they doing? Where are they? What do we mean the dead in Christ rising first? How many have gone through the pain of concern? How many have focused in on their own lives to to begin to ask those questions of, what about me? What am I going to go through? Do I know for sure? Do I understand where my eternity is going to be spent? These are really important questions that all of us need to kind of take a step back and look at and say, what does the Word of God actually teach us about those things? Well, the first question, where are those who have died in Christ currently? That's an interesting question. Because if you go back to the time, Old Testament, and even uh, in the Gospels, before the Lord went to the cross, died, and was resurrected, there was a place where believers went. It's called Abraham's bosom. We're going to look at that in a little bit. It's called paradise. It is the good part of Hades. In In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol, the place of the unknown, the place of the dead. Part of it was a place of suffering. The other part of it, Abraham's bosom, paradise, is a place of comfort. And we're going to look at that. But where are those who have died in Christ after Jesus' resurrection? Where do they go? Well, that's in some ways probably the simplest question that we've got today, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be what? At home with the Lord. Praise God. If you're a believer today, And the Lord decides that it's your time to come home because it is appointed to a man once to die and then the judgment, right? It's your time to come home. Guess what? If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you can be absolutely assured from the word of God that you will be immediately in the presence of the Lord in the third heaven, which is heaven, in the throne room. Amazing. That's, folks, worth a little bit of an amen. (laughs) Praise God for that. Now, why do we fear We know this, and yet we seem to be dominated by fear. And parents, let me just talk to you real quick. I understand what it's like to fear sending my kids into arenas that I don't know are the most safest arenas that this world offers. And there's been many times where I've laid awake at night thinking about that. I understand that. And my prayers have changed. It's changed from, Lord, keep them safe, 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 keep them safe. Lord, please keep them safe. To, Lord, be glorified through them. And, oh, by the way, as a dad, would you please keep them safe? (laughs) 
You catch us? Why? Because we know the resurrection's true, folks. We know the resurrection's true. And if the resurrection's true and God's promise to us is true, then guess what? We can take courage. We can walk boldly. And we don't have to fear. To be absent from the body is to be at home or to be present with the Lord. Well, the second question, what's the current condition of those who have died in Christ and gone on to be with the Lord? Their bodies, their bodies. You know, this is an interesting question because the truth of the matter is we don't fully understand the current body of those who have died in Christ. It is sometimes referred to as an intermediate body. What we do know is that they are awaiting the resurrection of their bodies, which will take place at the rapture, which hasn't taken place yet, and therefore they have an intermediate body. They're with the Lord, they're in heaven, They're obviously at peace, they're obviously worshiping, there's joy, there's contentment, and we can begin to derive that from all the different passages that refer to this, but they don't have a glorified body as of yet. They're waiting for that. They're waiting for that. I like how this commentary put it. Believers do not receive this glorified body immediately after death. They have it in the sense that it's something to look forward to. The resurrection of the body awaits the rapture. (laughs) Interesting. So the best examples of this and what are we looking at, what are we talking about in terms of somebody's body or what it is that they have or uh, what it is that they are can be found in a couple different stories. First is Lazarus and the rich man. And if you look at Luke chapter 16, And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to give you a synopsis of it. But verses 19 through 31 give us a story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. This is not a parable. This wasn't a story to make a specific point. This is an actual narrative of what had taken place. And as a result, we can derive from it truth with regard to the afterlife. It's very interesting because... This poor man named Lazarus would sit at the gate of this rich man whom we do not know his name and are not told what his name is, but the rich man did not do anything in order to comfort Lazarus. In fact, Lazarus was in such a bad state that he would long to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, and even the dogs would come and lick this guy's sores. Now, that's pathetic. That's just a horrific existence. No comfort. The rich man had no mercy, had no concern. Clearly, in this narrative, did not believe in the law and the prophets, therefore did not believe in the Messiah, therefore was not a believer, and therefore went to the suffering part of Hades. Not to Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, on the other hand, this poor man, went to Abraham's bosom. And in verse 23, both of these guys pass away. And in verse 23, it says, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. This is the rich man. And saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. In other words, Lazarus was being comforted by Abraham. And evidently, the rich man could look across the gulf and see this taking place. So he cries out and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this 
flame. Now, don't get this mistaken from the second death, which is the lake of fire. Everybody that did not believe in the coming of Christ or today does not believe in Christ is not saved and is in this place. And they are awaiting the great white throne judgment where the books will be open and the book. And if their name is not in the Lamb's book of life, then guess what? They don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not saved and their works will condemn them. And the entire whole part of Hades will be thrown into what? The lake of fire. And that's usually what we think of as being hell. This is a holding place awaiting judgment. And this rich man is there, and he is in torment. Verse 25, Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that they may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Who's that? Christ himself. If they don't believe the law, if they don't believe the prophets, if they don't believe the things that were written about the coming of the Messiah and recognize that this is the word of God and that it is true, then they won't even believe somebody who rises again from the dead. And we know that's true. All over this world, people do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because they do not believe in the resurrection and or they want to ignore it. Indescribable. Well, let's review for a second here. What do we learn about this? Think about this. The rich man, he recognized Abraham and Lazarus. Think about that. He could see. He obviously could hear. He obviously could taste. He wanted water to be cooled off. He had some form of sensory going on. And he was able to recognize Abraham and recognize Lazarus, which means that they were recognizable. Think about that. He was in excruciating pain. He wanted comfort. Think about the emotional factor here. He wanted comfort but could not have it. He had memory of his life on earth as well as his family. And folks, I want to tell you something. That's devastating. Think about that. Memory, regret is devastating. He had no fellowship. Think about that. It doesn't say there was a group of people around him that were encouraging him and saying, oh, we're so sorry that you're suffering. We are too. Let's help, one, help us one another through this. No fellowship alone. People, I've heard, I've heard people say, oh, we can't wait to go to hell to party. Yeah, right. You think hell's going to be a party, friend? You're going to be alone. You're going to have your memories. You're going to understand exactly what's happening to you. And you're going to look back and you're going to be able to remember, I believe, every moment that God came to you, whether it was through creation, through people, etc. And you rejected the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be hell in every sense of the word. On the flip side, Lazarus. 
was recognizable. Lazarus was being comforted. Lazarus had fellowship. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Intermediate body. Don't know what specifically kind of body he had, waiting the resurrection, obviously waiting the resurrection of Christ first so that he could be taken up into the heavens, into the heavenly places with the Lord. For us today as believers, we know that happens immediately. Praise the Lord. There's a second story that's kind of interesting, the transfiguration. Just a little interesting, I mean, you know. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. You know the story well, right? Peter and James and John were taken up by the Lord (laughs) onto this mountain. And it says in verse 2 of Matthew 17, he was transfigured before them. And I love this because Matthew gets this across clearly. His face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. I don't got time to go into the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is a unique body. He's 100% man, no question, but he was sinless man. And at this particular moment, the body of Christ, somehow God the Father allowed this crack to take place and the true identity of who Jesus Christ really is began to came forward. It wasn't a light shining down on him. It was a light emanating from him because his face shone first and then his clothing. Indescribable. When that happens, verse 3 says, Behold, Moses and Elijah appear to them talking with him. Now Moses represents the law, Elijah, the prophets. We don't know exactly what their conversation was. We don't know exactly how uh, the writer and or Peter, James, or John knew exactly that this was Moses and Elijah. But I have a feeling that it had something to do with the law and the prophets and the fact that the law and the prophets all pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And as a result, Peter, James, and John are standing there. They're all trying to hold one another up. They're all in shock. Their mouths are probably wide open. And Peter made the sad mistake of closing his mouth and then opening it again. Peter never did anything half-heartedly. He never just had to take one foot out of his mouth, did he? Always two. (laughs) I love that guy. Gives us all hope, doesn't he? I can't wait to give that guy a hug. Say, brother, brother, you are the best. You are the best. Peter says to, the, uh, to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here if you wish. I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love this. I don't think I've ever seen this before. While he was still speaking. <laughs> in other words, he's so enamored with what's going on. He's in all of this. He sees Moses and Elijah, and he's looking at the Lord going, holy moly, look at this. All of a sudden, he starts to say, well, let's build some tabernacles for you. And while he's still speaking, God the Father steps in and basically says, oh boy, Peter, keep the mouth shut because you're about to embarrass yourself even more. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What do we get out of this? What do we get out of this? They knew this was Moses. They knew this was Elijah. They were recognizable. Moses and Elijah were both talking. They were both communicating. Therefore, they had the ability to think. They had the ability to understand. They had cognitive capabilities. They also appeared, which is fascinating, because they could appear and disappear. Amazing. So what will our glorified, question three, imperishable, immortal bodies be like? Well, we have... The greatest example of all, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you some thoughts on this. 
In John chapter 20, verses 11 and following, we have a story immediately after the crucifixion and the Lord had been placed into the tomb of Mary in the garden. The tomb had already been rolled away. Peter and John had seen the clothes in the tomb. They had sprinted down there because somebody had come and told them somebody had stolen the body. So they went sprinting down there. They see the clothes laying where the body had been. The body of Jesus was not in the tomb. They still didn't understand scripture. This is all uh, preface. They didn't understand scripture concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And Mary goes down there. She lingers there. She stays there. She's weeping. She's distraught. And she looks in and she sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of where the body of Jesus had been lying. So they begin to ask her, why are you weeping? What's going on? What's the problem here? And, and she says to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. She's still thinking he's dead. And the body's been stolen. And we don't know where he is. And I came in order to minister to his body and it's gone. So when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. I've been all over this country, and there's times where I've been walking through uh, airports, and I see somebody coming at me, and I immediately recognize that they recognize me, and I don't have a clue who they are. Have you ever had that happen? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Lord, this person evidently knows me. Where do I know them from? Help me, <laughs> right? And then when they start to talk, all of a sudden I go, oh, Joe, it's so good to see you, <laughs> right? Because you, you immediately begin, when you're not looking for them, sometimes you don't recognize them or you're in a different place and something's happened and you're emotionally not in a, in a right place or whatever the circumstance may be, all of a sudden you begin to recognize somebody and that's what in effect has happened to Mary. She turns and sees Jesus, she thinks he's dead, she's not waiting or looking to see him. He looks like a gardener, which is interesting in terms of his clothing, right? He didn't have a purple robe on and all this kind of stuff. He's just, Jesus, humble, beautiful. So Jesus says to a woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where have you laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus says to her, Mary. So she turns and says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, which, by the way, is the highest form of a teacher, and Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me. Now, a lot of it has been made of this. And I think all the Lord is simply saying is, hey, I've got to go. I've got to go ascend to my father. Go tell the brethren. In other words, hey, Mary, it's okay. I'll be back. Uh, you're going to see me again. This won't be the last time. Stop clinging to me. I've I got to move on. It's kind of a real beautiful expression of love and encouragement to her. Well, what do we learn? Well, the Lord appears and he disappears. Now, at this point, he's got a glorified body. He's been resurrected. He's able to talk. Mary then begins to recognize who he is, so he's recognizable. It's amazing. If you look at a few verses down, John 20, verses 19 and 20, our dear beloved doubting Thomas. Here's another one we're going to put our arms around and say, thank God for you, brother, because you encouraged us greatly. We've all doubted many times. We're sorry that your doubts were written eternally in the Lamb's word of God, but it's encouraged us through the years, right? John 20, 19 through 20. Here's kind of the prefacing to Thomas's moment. 
So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. They all fell over and fainted, right? <laughs> doors are locked. <laughs> when you're already scared to death, Right? You, you watch movies and all of a sudden you know it's going to be a, in a, it's in a moment where suddenly it's good, something's going to happen. Well, how do you know that? Because the music's playing. Dum, 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 and your heart's going. Dum, 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 and all of a sudden, bam, it hits. And you jump out of the seat. You knew you, what's going on. You were already scared. You were getting prepped for it. And then when the moment hits, what happens? You freak out a little bit. Hey, these people were in closed doors. They're scared to death of the Jews. They're huddled together. They're already nervous. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And all of a sudden, here comes the Lord. Boom, right in their midst. I mean, folks, we already have it documented. They screamed like the little girls in the boat when they saw Jesus walking on the water. I don't know what their reaction is here. The Lord is very kind to them not to let us know. But they are startled. That's a kind way of putting that they were scared to death. Think about that. So in the midst of this, he says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, <laughs> Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where Thomas was. In verse 24, it says, Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> I mean, can you see Thomas? I can just see Thomas. Right. Don't get my hopes up you got to be kidding me. I mean, you talk about the Eeyore of Christianity. It is Thomas, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. He said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Stubborn, obstinate. Eeyore Thomas. After eight days, now folks, catch just the great, Wonderful. <laughs> Our Lord has a sense of humor. Eight days. They're all telling him, we saw him, we saw him. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Get off my back, guys. I'm going to go pray. After eight days, his disciples were again inside Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Again, this time, Thomas is the only one, right? The rest of the guys have had this happen. Now they're probably excited and he says to Thomas, he goes right to him, he says, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And I love Thomas's response. May it be said of all of us the same. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He didn't say, oh yeah, come over here, Lord. Let me, let me touch your hand. Let me, let me make sure. Let me touch your side. He just falls down and worships. My Lord and my God. And I love the promise to us concerning this. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Wow. One more moment with the Lord, glorified body, able to go where he's going, the road to Emmaus. And again, I'm not going to go through the whole story these two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. It's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They're walking. They're despondent. The Lord comes alongside of them. They do not recognize the Lord. He asks them what's wrong. They begin to respond to him, to tell him what's wrong. Don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? How is it possible that you don't know this? And they begin to tell him everything. And then the Lord begins to tell them 
what the word of God has to say. And he actually says in verse 25, he says to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And so therefore he begins to go through Moses and all the prophets explaining to them the things that were about himself in scripture, the things that pointed to his coming, the things that pointed to his death, the things that pointed to his resurrection in order to encourage these dear brothers who are down. So they urge him, because he acts like he's going to go on further, they urge him to stay. It's getting on towards evening. The day is now nearly over, so he goes in and he stays with them. And I love this. Look at verse 30. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Catch this, catch. He's breaking bread. He's physical. He's there with them. He's not a spirit. He's not an apparition. He's not some kind of a ghost. He's not this Hollywood figment of our imagination floating around. He's got a glorified body. And he's able to break the bread and he's able to give it to them. Verse 31 says their eyes were open. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Glorified body. Amazing. Now, (laughs) they're startled. They're, they're in amazement. And what do they do? They get up. Man, adrenaline is pumping. Spiritual adrenaline is fired up. They walk the seven miles back to Jerusalem to go tell the rest that they had seen Jesus. And it says this in verse 34. The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences. This is the apostles telling these two Uh, disciples what had happened and they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread so they begin to share stories hey the lord appeared to us too we got to see him as well and they begin to share this and in verse 36 while they were telling these things he himself stood in their midst and said to them peace be to you but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, it's not because they were doubting any longer, it's because they were just amazed and joyful. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I think I would have asked for McDonald's or Domino's. But he takes a piece of broiled fish, he takes it, and he eats it before them. Let me, let me summarize this a little bit. What are our glorified bodies going to be like? Well, we're going to be able to walk. We're going to be able to talk. The Lord allowed Mary to touch him, so there's physicalness to our bodies. He was recognizable Though they didn't recognize him at first, he was recognizable. I believe every one of us are going to be recognizable. I believe we're going to have the mind of Christ in a full sense in that way in terms of heaven. And even though maybe we haven't met our dear brothers and sisters over in different parts of the world, when we see them, we're going to know them. Because we're the family of God. They're recognizable. He broke bread. He ate fish. He made sure that they recognized that he was not simply a spirit, but he was flesh and bones. He showed them his hands and his feet. 
catch this one, it's fascinating to me, he was able to appear and disappear. He was able to go through closed doors. He was able to get into rooms that were shut and locked. He was able to travel over distances without any issues at all whatsoever. Now, (laughs) that sounds fun to me, doesn't it? The rapture happens, glorified bodies, here we are. The millennium takes place, and we're serving the Lord in the millennium. I'm not sure exactly how this works, but evidently the physicality, the natural laws of gravity and the natural laws that we understand with our dimensions now are not necessarily going to restrain us. If we choose to go somewhere, evidently we're going to be able to go there, and that's pretty cool. Now, you know, fun stuff. Folks, We don't know what the bodies of those who have died in Christ right now are like. They have an intermediate body, but we know the body that we have been promised because we can see it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a physical body, bone, flesh, but it has certain capabilities about it that are remarkable. So three things, our future hope, our present comfort, and our abundant service. Think about it this way, right? Every believer has been promised an immortal body, free from the curse of sin and death. Therefore, we should continue actively serving the Lord no matter what, no matter what the cost may be. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and I refer to this, this is the rapture passage or one of them. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Folks, we have a future hope that is a certainty, that is a fact, and we can see it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the resurrection of the dead. It ought to change the way we think today. It ought to change our motive. It ought to change our activity. It ought to change us. We recognize that what we're headed towards is far superior to what there is now, and we ought not let fear hold us back from serving the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. How are we comforting one another in the midst of this? When we talk about our future hope, how are we encouraging one another? How do we come alongside of one another and share the word of God to make sure that somebody who is grieving doesn't grieve as those who have no hope, but grieves with hope, with the assurance, with the certainty that their loved one who is in Christ, who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is with the Lord. Think about that. Folks, I'll tell you what, I can't wait to see Wayne... Can't wait to see my father-in-law. I've got many family members who have already gone on to be with the Lord, my mom being one of them when I was young. So I kind of have grown up with this. I've grown up with this thought process. Well, is she watching what's going on in my life? Is she aware of what's happening? Hebrews says there's a great cloud of witnesses. Does she maybe know what's happening? Is she aware of what's going on? Is she praying for me? I don't know with certainty how to answer all those things, but I can't imagine she's not praying, and I can't imagine that there are certain things that the Lord has certainly made her aware of with regard to my life. Oh, folks, think about the hope we have. Think about the certainty of knowing that we'll be with the Lord forever. No more pain, no more suffering, none of those things. 
our present comfort is a part of this. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks to this so beautifully. Verses 50 through 58, and really you could read this whole chapter and talk about the resurrection, talk about this great truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a result, what we have the privilege of experiencing as well. In verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, so fast that it's like you can't split the atom. Now, we know today we can split an atom, right? But back then they thought the atom was the very basic form and it couldn't be split, and that's the word that's being used here. So quickly that it is the absolute moment, but not so quickly that you can't see it. The twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Then he goes on in verse 53, he says, for this perishable, perishable, anybody wake up this morning and feel like you had to stretch? Anybody wake up this morning and go, oh, my hip, all right, let's get that thing working again. That's happening to me more and more, unbelievably. Right? My hip flexors catching did not do me good. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. Immortality. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, in other words, we're going to be clothed and cloaked with a body that is eternal, that is resurrected, that is glorified, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we looking forward to, folks? We're looking forward to a body that is immortal, a body that cannot perish. Let me kind of put it this way. The bodies we have now are perishable. They are mortal. They have sin within them. Paul tells us that in Romans. They are subject to decay. In fact, they're decaying. Oh, that's morbid, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. What are we looking forward to? We're looking to a body that's imperishable, a body that's immortal, a body that is holy and pure. Can you imagine never even having the thought of a thought about disobeying God? Oh. Anybody say amen to that? Never having to wrestle with your mind. Am I really following the God, God or am I not? Or I'm being tempted in this and I can feel flesh being pulled towards it and my flesh really wants this. Never having that again. Never having to even worry about having that again. Not subject to decay. Eternal, immortal. Death has no hold over that body. Praise God. But lastly, verse 58, I love this. 
our abundant service for the Lord. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren. Do you catch this? Therefore, because we know what we're headed to, because we know the hope that we have, the certainty, we know what it is that God's done for us, what he's promised us, and what God has promised will come to pass for all believers, period. Because of that, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The word steadfast has the idea of a chair. When you sit in it, it is safe, it is settled, it is steady. You don't have to worry about it falling apart. Be steadfast. Don't allow the things of this world to cause you to fall apart. Don't allow the thinking of this world to cause you to move off of what it is that God has said. He's promised us something. Stay there. Be directed in it. Trust in the midst of it. Immovable means not moving away. Staying the course. The truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. Stay there. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Don't move away. Don't look at the things of this world. Keep looking at the things of God. Walk with him. And then he says abounding, abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word abounding literally means overflowing, more than what the cup can hold, more and more, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know where we're headed, and we can trust the Lord with it. We're secure in him and what he has said about us, and what he's promised to us. And as a result, we are to be steadfast. We are to be immovable. We are to always abound in the work, the service of the Lord. And then he promises us, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That word vain means empty, meaningless. You're putting all this effort into this stuff. You believe these things. You don't see the things that you want to see take place. You don't see the results. You're frustrated. Nothing's happening the way you want it to happen. Keep on following Christ. It is not in vain when you follow the Lord and serve him. It is not empty. It is not worthless. Folks, beautiful. How is our future hope, which is our certainty, impacting the way we think about right now and comforting us? And how is it leading us to say, absolutely, yea, verily, Lord, I want to serve you and I want to follow you in everything that I do? Because that's the issue. Let me encourage you in something. Keep on serving the Lord faithfully. Many of you do. And thank God for you. We are in challenging days, no question. Our culture is rotting from the core. Keep on keeping on. Don't, don't get frustrated. Don't look at the world for the answers. Keep looking to the Lord for the answers. Because he alone has the answer. He alone is the answer. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Allow the future promises of the glory that has been promised to us motivate our service for the Lord today. And folks, if you're not serving, if you're not walking with the Lord and what it is that he has for you, can I encourage you to prayerfully consider what it is that God has? See, a body is a body. That was a profound statement, wasn't it? Come on. <laughs> But a body has many parts, right? It has feet, it has hands, 
fingers, toes, etc. Eyes, ears, mouth, nose. And you know, I believe that God brings a body together. And when that body begins to function by yielding to Christ, by saying yes to the Lord, and the Lord, uh, through the Holy Spirit, begins to orchestrate the body of Christ, he begins to take all the members of that body, and he helps that body begin to function in unity. He begins to help that body to function in service. He begins to help that body love one another, and he begins to be a witness through that body to the world. Maybe you're here today and you're a hand and you've decided you don't really need to do anything because you think you're too old. You think the younger generation doesn't want to listen to you. That's nonsense. There's all kinds of things I could go into about this and I won't. But I believe our younger generations need us more than ever. They need people to come alongside of them, to put their arm around them, to build relationship with them, to encourage them, to help strengthen them, for you to share your God stories with them, to help encourage them in their walk of faith today because they are being bombarded in ways that are indescribable and have never been seen. The elements of it, the the fact of it, the foundation of it is the same. It's the lust of the flesh, right? But with technology and the things going on today, they are being bombarded in ways that we can't even imagine. They need us, as the Lord leads, to come alongside and encourage them. These children, you know what? They need some grandparents, folks. They need some grandparents. They need some people to come alongside. They need some people who have wisdom and who have walked that way to say, oh, I don't think that's the best idea. Let's see what the Lord has to say about this and look what I've learned and what God's taught me and maybe it's over here. Maybe it's this way. We could go into illustration after illustration after illustration. How are we serving the Lord? Maybe you're a hand and you've decided you don't need to. I'll tell you what, the body suffers because of that. Maybe you're a foot and you don't think you need to. Well, I'll tell you what, the body suffers because of that. Because when the Lord brings a body of believers together, he makes sure that everything that body uh, needs, it has. And the question is, how are we following the Lord? How are we walking with him? How are we in prayer? How are we willing from the heart to say, yes, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I'm just blessed to be able to serve. Thank you for my hope. Thank you for my comfort. And thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 